Well, most of us know what it's like to have a lot of bad things happening at the same time. So as an expression that we have, sometimes we'll say, I'm in a string of bad luck. And we all know what that's like. And personally, if you don't know this about me, I had an absolutely terrible year last year. I mean, it was, it was one for the record books. And I was so looking forward to this year being better. I kept saying to the Lord, Lord, you stretched me to the max last year. I, I, can't, I can't relive 2019. And so um, I'm begging you for a peaceful year. So, well, I got a peaceful, I guess, two months. So Pam and I got to celebrate our 30th anniversary. So that was cool. But after that, it was not very good. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel now like I am surrounded by trouble. And, and what does that feel like? It's sort of this relentless feeling uh, of the unknown that is all around you or the unknown that is coming at you. And you begin to wonder, is anywhere really safe? I mean, generally I find Earth to be, in most places, a safe place. But now I'm, I'm starting to wonder... And I'm really appreciating the fact that true safety is only found in God. Psalm 46 is a psalm of radical trust in God. Not, not just, oh, I'm trusting God. No, this is radical trust in God in the face of an overwhelming threat. There's something you can't do anything about, overwhelming trouble. And so the title of our message tonight is Trusting God in times of trouble. Now the heading of the psalm says this, to the chief musician, remember the, the psalms were songs that they sang, particularly in the second temple. A lot of times people refer to it as the second temple songbook. A psalm of the sons of Korah. In fact, a lot of songs that you hear, you know, in contemporary Christian music, you're like, that sounds like it came from the Bible. To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth. Now, who in the world was Alamoth? Different scholars have different opinions on that. Uh, some people think that word means girls. Some people think that word means sopranos. Uh, it could mean that this is a song of triumph, uh, of victory, and of joy. And you say, but you were just talking about trouble. Yeah, remember how we said the, the, the psalm writers, the Bible writers can be very different than us, that they can take trouble and sorrow and pain and joy and faith and confidence in God and mix them together. Psalm 46 is famously known uh, for inspiring the great reformer Martin Luther's uh, hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, I grew up in church and we didn't really sing songs like that where I was at. And so when I first became a follower of Jesus, the church that I was going to, that was a song that they regularly sang. And I got to be honest with you, I loved it. I was very much drawn to, and I don't know, maybe it's just, a, just a, a guy thing, I don't know. But I was very much drawn to the idea of the warrior God. And I still am. I mean, I read the passages in the Bible where God's just like crushing, you know, you read about the guys that are sacrificing babies and you know, doing horrible things to women and children. And God comes in and he's just like, that's it. I've seen enough. I'm like, yes, I, I really love that about him. And it said that 
Uh, Martin Luther and his colleague, Philip Melanchthon, Martin Luther was kind of the brains and the crazy guy. Melanchthon was the guy who kind of calmed him down, sang it in times of darkness and depression that when they wrote, Our Mighty Fortresses Are God, to lift their spirits. Uh, the great Lutheran Bible scholar, H.C. Leupold, who wrote in the 1950s and 60s, said this about Psalm 46. Few psalms breathe the spirit of sturdy confidence in the Lord in the midst of very real dangers as strongly as this one does. The point of the psalm is simply this, that God is our refuge. Friend, whether you know it or not, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're watching with us, but whether you know it or not, God is your refuge in reality, as our world is learning now, he is the only option. There is no other options on the table. And this is a hard thing for a lot of people to accept. It's a hard thing for a lot of people to face because that means we have to be totally dependent upon him. And that's not normally the way we think, especially as Americans. We, we look for security in things that we think can deliver, but we're learning right now, they can't deliver. You know what they are, money. I mean, a lot of people have lost a lot of money right now. A lot of people have lost their job. I do not mean to make light of that at all. But money can't save you. Career, family. A lot of people say, it's all about the family. Here we are, we're locked up for not even two months, and people are like, I can't stand my family. <laughs> not me, not me. But, but that's, you know, what people put their trust in, their accomplishments. Whatever it is, we know that these things that we trust in, other than God, are eventually going to hit the wall. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. This side of eternity there, eternity, there is no escaping that. Heartbreak is just a natural part of our lives. Disaster, a natural part of our lives. Remember all the hurricanes that we had? People forgot all about that stuff. Everybody is so concerned now with COVID-19. There's no escaping sickness. And death eventually comes to us all. So if you're taking notes, there's three, we want to break this psalm into three parts. The, the Bible writer really made it easy for guys like me on this one tonight, tonight. And number one, in times of trouble, God gives us the gift of his presence. In times of trouble, God gives us the gift of his presence. Now, perception of that or not is something you may not always be aware of. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength. A very present, some of your versions might say ever-present, help in trouble. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. That is a great reason why he is worthy of our trust, because he is there for us. So the idea of very present or ever-present here in verse 1 is actually going to be stated a very different way, but it means the same thing in verse 7 and in verse 11. As the Lord is with us, he's going to say. So 
he's ever present in verse 1, verse 7, and verse 11. The Lord is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1 tells us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is our Savior. He is our Father, which means that he is for us. Do you know that, friend, that God is for you? People say all the time, like, I know God's for me. I'm like, I know. Are you for him? Or people say to me, I know God loves me. I go, I, that's not, I'm not, I'm not going to debate that with you. Do you love him? Not only is he for us, he helps us, we're told here, in times of trouble. I love this about God. He is always ready to step in and help. In other words, whenever you need his help, you can call upon him. Now, does that mean he's going to fix whatever? Maybe, maybe not. But maybe the help is going to be different than you thought it was going to be. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. Uh, when I owned a trucking company, we had this, a, a truckload of designer clothing. And we were taking it up to Connecticut. And one of our drivers got pulled over, and it turned out that his li driver's license was suspended. And the police impounded the vehicle full of hundreds of thousands of dollars of designer clothing. I wasn't Pastor Jim back then. <laughs> I was not too happy. So he comes back in the next morning, and I said, okay, well, you can't work today. You don't have a license. And he goes, well, I'm going to go down to motor vehicle today, and I'm going to get it. And he said, my God will not let me lose my license. And I said, your God works at motor vehicle? I didn't know he worked there. And guess what? He didn't get his license. So sometimes there's consequences for what we do, but other times we have to remember that God's help is not necessarily fixing the situation, but is, as we're going to be talking about going along, coming alongside us, strengthening us, deepening our faith. And so he's, he's there all the time, right? That God is there, but trouble, it plays a unique role, I think, in our lives. Trouble can make us much more aware of God's presence. I'm sure that some of you have been praying the last few months like you haven't prayed before. I'm sure there's whole new areas of prayer that you have entered into. I mean, seriously. When was the last time you were shopping in Walmart and you were praying as you were going down the aisle? You heard someone cough. Now you run. Before, you thought nothing of it. Things have really, really changed. And in some ways, if we're picking up some good habits along the way, for the better. And I believe that the psalmist is writing, having experienced this firsthand. So, he says that God is a refuge. What, what does that mean? That means that God protects us, that God defends us, that he saves his people who are under attack, that we can flee to him in times of trouble. You know, like when there's a storm or something like that, you flee indoors. You can flee to God in times of trouble. Also, there's times when he has our refuge, as we saw last week in Psalm 91, when we don't even know it. When we're going to see in eternity that God was protecting us in plenty of time from dangers that we could never see. It says that he is our strength. 
he is our strength in so many ways. He is the source of our inner strength. He helps us to fight. He helps us to press on in trouble. He helps us not to give up, not to give in. And this is, to me, incredibly reassuring. That God has promised to me, God has promised to you, God has promised to all followers of Jesus that he is going to give us enough strength to fight when we are weak. Whatever the battle is that God has ordained or allowed into your life, God says, I'm going to give you the strength to fight it. And if that onslaught is too much for you, I'll be your refuge. You can come hide in me. I am there for you. Because of that, he says in verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Remember when therefore is in the Bible, you ask yourself, what's it there for? Therefore, in light of everything that we just heard, what did we just hear? That God is our uh, refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, because of that, we will not fear. And then you say, well, what's he afraid of? He gives us this interesting demonstration of what the danger he's in or the danger you and I are in actually might feel like. He says, even though the earth be removed, that's, that's you know, give, some versions say gives way, some versions say trembles, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, another version says, even though when the mountains fall into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, most versions say the water's foaming. You know what that looks like when the water is foaming, when it's very, very rough? Though the mountains shake, some verses say tremble with its swelling, selah. Remember what that means? It means pause, stop for the musicians, but for us. Think about that. God is always with you. He is your strength. He is your refuge. And even if you're in the midst of, of the earth being moved or trembling or, or mountains falling in, to the ocean, the waters are roaring, you're, you're, it's okay. In case you wondered, you heard verse 1 and you thought, okay, I, I get it, I'm with you, Pastor Jim, but, but, in case you were wondering if there's limits on God's help, the psalmist paints a picture of what in verse 2 and verse 3? The whole world falling apart. Everything is just completely becoming undone. Let's put it this way. This is like creation in reverse. Creation, God spoke and everything came into existence. But here, everything is becoming undone. Total destruction. And the earth is personified as being terrified. The mountains, you look up, you're like, wow, look at that mountain. The mountains is trembling in fear. In other places... Uh, in the Word of God, such language is used of what we call a theophany. This is basically an appearance of God. God shows up, and then everybody's trembling. You know, they're like, yeah, i got a few things to say to you. That's not going down. Everybody is absolutely trembling. And in this picture, we, get the, we sort of get the idea of God coming in judgment. And he shows up, 
and everything begins to fall apart. But despite all the chaos, we can be confident the Lord is always with his people. He is a refuge. Therefore, the psalmist says, we will not fear. Now, how could this be? Is this just like spiritual mumbo jumbo? Is this just a bunch of talk? Like, oh, you know, I'm trusting the Lord, you know, all the miraculous stuff and this and that. And, you know, people then you really get to know them and they're like, oh, I don't really think like that. I just I got to act that way at church. No way some people have to act like a church. We don't, we don't want to do that here. Just be real. Be real. It seems to me that, that what he's writing about is not just stuff that's kind of in his head or trying to act spiritual or something like that. It seems to me that this is born out of the experience of God's faithfulness. Like to him, whatever he went through was like everything just falling apart. So instead of, of, of all the trouble decreasing his faith, decreasing his people who are with him's faith, it increased their faith as they were looking for the hand of God in their trouble. Friends, that's a great thing to do. You know, sometimes people think, oh, trouble's happening to me, is there a God? Or trouble's happening to me, God must be unhappy with me. Or trouble's happening to me, where in the world is God? But if you look very carefully for what God is doing in the midst of your trouble, it's a great faith builder. It really is. And here's the thing. Friends, really, this is, this is the truth. Right now, our world is completely shaken. It's, that is not a metaphor. That is the world is completely shaken. You see those maps on the Internet of all these places that are infected and stuff like that. And, and, and people are afraid. They're afraid for good reason. But you know what the psalmist is assuring us of? The Lord's not afraid. He's not afraid. He's sovereign. He knows what's going on. He has a plan. We may not know exactly what it is, but you know what? Sometimes we don't have to know. So from the gift of his presence, that he's ever present, he's always with us, we move to number two. In times of trouble, God gives us the gift of his peace. The gift of his peace. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. That's the place where God dwelled in Jerusalem. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. In other words, it says she shall not fall. The city of God, talking about the city as a, as a she. Now, isn't it very interesting? The mountains are falling to pieces, but the city of our God is more stable than the mountains. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You know, I think that little thing at the end there is really important. A lot of times in the ancient world, in the battles, they didn't have those night vision things. A big time they would attack would be right at daybreak when the city was just kind of getting up and getting the kids up and getting everything ready when they were most vulnerable and the army had been sitting there in the darkness and then just as the sun started to come up, they would attack. 
And so here the psalmist says, listen, we know they're coming. But he will defend the city of God at the perfect time. Maybe, maybe you're really afraid right now, and I get that. God says, you can count on me to show up at the perfect time. Isn't it amazing that the way he has moved us from verse 2 and 3 to verse 4 and 5, from the fury of the ocean, from mountains being destroyed, the psalmist takes us to the peaceful waters of the city of God. He says, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. What a difference, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I love rivers. I, I find them very, very relaxing. And for an agricultural society in which these people lived, not only was a river relaxing, but it was also a source of life as irrigation fed many people. Plus, most uh, cities were built near rivers, which made it more difficult for uh, armies to attack and made it easier to bring supplies in. So the picture has moved for us from the chaos and instability to God's perfect peace, God's perfect protection, and God's perfect provision. I don't know about you, but certainly these days, I think we need to sit at the stream. Now, you don't need a literal stream, but maybe you just need to sit in a quiet place. We're going to revisit Habakkuk this weekend where he gets away with God and, and God actually speaks to him. And Maybe as you get away with God and as you read things like Psalm 46 out loud, slowly, God will bring you peace. You will sense his protection. You will sense his provision. The point of the matter, I think, here in verse 4 and 5 is that no matter what goes on, no matter how unhinged the world becomes, no matter how unhinged your life becomes, there is peace in the place where God meets with his people. It is the peace of God. It surpasses understanding, the scripture tells us. It's it's, it's a calm that can come over you knowing that God is with you. See, but, it, but it's not the city that brings peace. Now, we here, we live close to New York. And so for us, we not, even what's going on there now aside, we just say that's not a very peaceful place. But it's not the city that brings peace. It's the presence of God in the city. That brings peace. It's the present, uh, presence of God in your life, in the life of those you love, that can bring his peace. Now, this idea of the city of God is a theme in the word of God, and, and, and the earthly Jerusalem is the home of the temple, where the people thought of the presence of God with his true people. But maybe instead of, of thinking of the city of God as a place, maybe we should think of it in terms of a person and his people. 
You see, what makes the city of God great, the eternal city of God great, is the presence of the Lord with his people. And therefore, the psalmist, reminding himself of that, reminding the Bible readers who are reading it at this, their time and we are reading it in our time, it reminds us that when we remember that God is with us all of the time, that the desired response or the goal we're shooting for is we will not fear. Now, I understand that comes and that goes. And God is okay with that. In other words, because God is so incredibly personal and so incredibly powerful and that he's always with his people, the psalmist says, we need not fear. I know some of you are not going to believe what I'm about to say, but you can lose your fear. You can. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. But as you continue to trust in God, preaching to yourself in your weakest of moments, most people begin to see some change. Now, we've been talking about this in the past, that prior to the Babylonian invasion, uh, many people thought Jerusalem could never be conquered. And some people thought that the word of God failed when it had been conquered because of what it says in other places in the Bible. Listen, Psalm 48.3. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. But then remember, Ezekiel said that God left when the Babylonians came. Verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. That's 43.8. In the city of our God, God, God will establish it forever. So either the word of God is wrong or there is what the scripture refers to as a new Jerusalem. So the Lord is pointing to hope beyond the moment. Hope beyond the city where they were living at that time. Hope beyond our existence right now. They're in the midst of a crisis. He is pointing beyond that crisis, beyond the things of this world, to an eternal city. You see, it was easy for people to, for the people to put their hope and trust in the city because it had the temple instead of putting their trust in the Lord. And what happened was, and this is a danger for all of us, the city for them more specifically, the temple, they thought, listen, they knew the, when the Assyrians came 100 years earlier than the Babylonians that God defended their city. The, the temple and the city became their identity instead of God. So many people, if you talk to them, you say, are you Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Well, how do you know? They go, I go to church. Well, then your, was your identity in the church? The church is the people. The people. It's not the building. But many people, that's their identity in, in the church or, or what they do at the church or the activity of the church. Instead of, instead of being, being made glad, the glad people of God in the city of God because their trust is in the Lord. 
So the prophets pointed us to the new Jerusalem, the place where great messianic hope was anticipated, and they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, who was the Lord and is the Lord Jesus Christ. But they still had it wrong when Jesus came. When Jesus came, they were holding on tightly to the temple. It had, it had become an apostate. It had become a false place of worship. But people were so entrenched in what they were doing, in the, as God said, in the, in the stuff that man made up, that they lost their focus on God. They failed to put their trust in Jesus, the Messiah. They failed to even believe after the cross and the resurrection. Revelation 20 and through 22 talks about this. I'll just read one verse, Revelation 21.10. John writes, the Apostle John writes, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. That's the new Jerusalem. That's the city of God. The result will be what the Lord says often in the scriptures, they shall be my people and I will be their God. And the coolest of coolest things, he will walk among us. Like, there he is. There he is. That's one of the cool things about being in a church where people are really walking with the Lord. Sometimes you're like, there he is. You, know, you see someone who's really hurting, and, and then you see someone come alongside them and just you know, really loving on them and caring for them. And I'm always looking at that. I'm like, there he is. There he is. Oh, I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about I'm seeing Jesus in action. Loving people through people. That's really what more the church is supposed to be about, not some building. You know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. Not that. That's not what it's supposed to be. Let's join the saints of old who, and saints are just the people who put their trust in God, who want to live faithfully today, yet long for this great future. A man like Abraham, listen to what it says about him in, in the New Testament. He was an Old Testament saint, but it says this in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to a place, to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Let <laughs> me ask you a question. Is that you right now? It's me. I have no idea where I'm going. Well, we don't know, we don't know what's the, what the next day is going to bring. But, but Abraham said, guess what, God? I'm going to go. I'm going to take that next step of faith. I'm not going to be foolish, but I'm going to take the next step of faith. But here's the reason I'm going to go, God, because you're going. And I want to go where you're going. Moses told God, we're not going anywhere without you. Verse 9, by faith. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Same for you, too, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your trust in him. And I love this, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, 
whose architect and builder is God. You see, the earthly Jerusalem has been built by man. Abraham was looking for the city that would be built by God. Well, verse 6 and 7, the psalmist takes us back to earth and its complete chaos. We're, we're, we're trying to experience the peace of God still. And he says, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. Some versions say the kingdoms fall. He, God, uttered his voice, the earth melted. Another version says, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of hosts, that generally is a term that has to deal with the angelic armies, is with us. Let's stop for one second, man. I definitely like the idea that he's with us and not against us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Other versions say he is our fortress. He is our stronghold. Selah. Stop. Think about it. Everything is falling apart. Chaos. But ah, the Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now let me just say something very, very quickly. If you don't know anything about your Bible, Jacob is probably one of the biggest royal screw-ups in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, people, when they get, when they, you know, they come here, they go, oh, I'd like a free Bible. They, they start at the beginning. I always say, maybe you want to start at the beginning of the New Testament, hear about Jesus. But they, like, you know, like a lot of people, they start at page one, and they're reading Genesis. Like, oh, this is very interesting, very interesting. And then they get to all other kinds of stuff that's going on. And then they get to Jacob's family. And they're like, what? They're just like his father. He's a lying schemer. But isn't it wonderful that by faith, God says, I'll be your refuge. No matter who you are or what you are or what you've done, God says, don't worry about it. Earth's falling apart. I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to be your refuge. You just have to want me to be that for you. You just have to put your trust in me. So in verse 6, it's interesting. The psalmist is, is looking ahead to the future. Times will be not good sometimes. Things are getting worse and worse. But then the Lord speaks and it's over. The same voice that creates the world dissolves the world. Why? To make way for the new heaven and for the new earth. Clearly, verse 6 speaks of the Lord's power. A power to be feared by many. But verse 7 speaks of the grace of God for his people. That when it's all coming undone, that's one of the ways you're going to know that I'm with you. That's one of the ways you're going to know that I'm your refuge. When you see it all falling apart, 
That's how you can know that I am there. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is our refuge. Another version says he's our stronghold. What does that mean? He's so high up, nobody can touch him. He's a very present help. Verse 1, very present help, always there, a help in times of trouble. And so, and so that's how he gives us his peace. Well, that takes us to number three. In times of trouble, we get the gift of his protection. The gift of his protection. Verse 8 and 9. Come. The great invitation from the Bible. Come. That's it. Come. You're like, I'm a big sinner. I can't come, Pastor Jim. God says, come. Come. My son died on the cross for your sins. There's plenty, plenty to go around. Plenty of grace and forgiveness and love to go around. Come. And he says, look or behold. He says, come, behold. What does that mean? Well, when you behold something, you look at it very carefully. You read in books like he beheld her beauty or something like that. But a lot of times when we talk about it in the scriptures, it is it's to look with spiritual eyes. You say, I'm not so sure I have them. Ask God for them. So he says, come, behold, look with spiritual eyes. Behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations, some versions say devastation, in the earth. He makes wars to cease. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two, he burns the chariot in fire. Isn't that interesting? So much of a protector is God that he will make wars to cease. Now, Bible scholars debate when the occasion of the writing of Psalm 46 is. Most think it's, you're taking notes, you can read it on your own. 2 Kings 18 and 19, when Assyria invaded Judea, Jerusalem, in the days of King Hezekiah, Others think it's when the armies from the east came against King Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, if you're taking notes. My question to you is, does it matter? I don't think so. I think what matters is that we know that God is our defense, that we know God is our security, that our trust is in the God of the heavenly city. That our trust cannot be in our government. And I don't think there's too many people who are going to debate that statement right now. But yet it says of Jesus in Isaiah 700 years before he came, Isaiah 9, 6, if you're taking notes, that the government will be upon his shoulders. That, that's the government I want to live under. That's the city I want to live in. And so this is what verse 8 and 9 really encourage us for in difficult times to look forward to those days. To look forward to when Jesus rules. He does now, but when we will know it in a tangible sense. And while this is protection for us, 
He makes wars to cease. Verse 8 is kind of scary. Verse 8 says, Behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. You see, if you're not part of the true people of God, if you have not turned to God, turned from your sin to God, and put your trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in your place for your sins, if that's not you, this is a warning. That now, now is the time to get your life right with God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, before all of you see all this comes around, he says the desolations, before all of that, hear the invitation, come, behold the works of the Lord. Look around, see what's going on, and think about it. And here's one of the cases to be made for the existence of God. If the people of God can have joy, I'm not talking about fake happiness. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord that is their strength, the Scripture says. If the people of God can have joy in the midst of trouble, how much more joy when He makes wars to cease? How much more joy when He fixes this place? turns it right side up because this world is pretty much upside down. And notice how the Lord makes peace. He makes it through judgment. Isn't that interesting? So how can you have peace with God? Well, you can put your trust in Jesus. Because God makes peace through judgment. He made peace through putting the judgment of sin upon Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, when you study the Bible, you really learn a lot of things about God that you probably were quite surprised at. I know I've, I'm continually surprised, and especially the first few years, I was very, very surprised. I mean, I was like a lot of people. I pictured God as kind of like a grandpa. You know, kind of, you know, kind of like Santa Claus at the mall, except without the red suit. And and Jesus was this mellow dude, like, yo, what's up, man? What's up? But the scripture teaches that God is a conquering king. And he will even conquer over death and has in the person of Jesus. That thought takes us to verse 10. He says, Be still. And know that I am God. Now that's an interesting, interesting verse. Normally, I think for a lot of people, they think it means like, oh, go chill out by the river. Just be quiet. Get your Bible. Get a cup of coffee. Get your journal. Be still. Know that he's God. But verse 8 and 9, it's all about desolation and him ending war. I don't think that's what it's about here. I think, and what follows, I don't think it's about, when he says, be still and know that I am God, I think he's saying, surrender. Surrender to me. Surrender to God before it's too late. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted 
in the earth. Now, he mentioned the earth in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Probably an indicator of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So God is saying, surrender before that happens. Surrender to him. And verse 11 repeats verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob. Again, if he's the God of Jacob, he could be the God of anyone. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. He is our stronghold. Selah. Now it's interesting. It's done. The psalm is over. It's not like, it's not like they end the song and the, and the, and the worship leader goes, okay, uh, everybody have a seat. Or he prays a prayer while we listen to the prayer and then we maybe pray along. Okay, everybody sit down. Say hi to somebody who's being seated, whatever. There's a lot of different church traditions. Do a lot of different things. He's just like, everybody stand still. Everybody stop. Everybody think about what we just sang. Ask yourself, are you surrendered to God? And if you're not, why not? And do it now. Don't wait. Be still. Stop what you're doing. Stop fighting one another. Stop fighting God before it's too late. Be still and see who I am and know who I am. And know that I am God. Change your ways. What, what does that mean? For us, This one thing that's really good right now is it has stopped so much of the crazy activity that people are involved in. And I think a lot of people are realizing how activity addicted they actually are. scurrying around, crazy, crazy, crazy. Sadly, probably more addicted to their phones than ever. Stop and think about what's going on. Stop and think about what God is doing. Stop and think about how ever-present God is in your life. You say, I don't know that He is. Yes, you do, because you've been talking to Him, and you weren't talking to Him before. And the cool thing about talking to God is, you know when you talk to someone and they've been having a conversation in their head and then they come and talk to you mid-thought and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? If you're a husband, do you not? You, don't you dare elbow your wife. <laughs> but you're, you're talking to people and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But you and I do that with God all the time. And he's not like, what the heck are you talking about? You know why he knows what you're talking about? You know he knows what I'm talking about? Because he's with us all the time. Because he knows what's on our heart before it comes out of our mouth. See, this is the way you get to know God. Perhaps it's helpful here to think of God as talking to the whole world. Saying, be still and know that I am God. Do it now before it's too late. Do it now before Jesus returns in judgment. You cannot win. Surrender. He says, I will be exalted in the nations and on the earth. 
So what about us today? What are we supposed to do with this? What is the great battle that so many people are fighting right now? Well, he mentioned it in verse 2. It's being afraid. It's being afraid of the unknown. It's wondering what's going to be next. It's wondering how much damage is going to be the result of so many of the things that we're going through right now. Why is it important that we think about fear? Because fear drives us away from trusting God. Now, don't feel guilty about that. Think about it. Be still. Think about it. Surrender your fear to God. Realizing it's something you're going to have to do over and over and over again. You see, fear causes us to choose our own ways instead of pursuing God when we need Him the most. In the Sermon on the Mount, we spent a long time in that as a congregation. It was great. It was great. We did, I think remember when, that summer we did on one, every Wednesday night, we had a dinner and then we took like one beatitude every, every night for the whole summer. It was great. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Now listen, no one would fault you if you were there on the Sermon on the Mount and you raised your hand and Jesus said, yeah, you got a question? He goes, yeah, Jesus, we need that stuff. I mean, if we don't have food, we'll die. If we don't have clothing, we'll freeze or we'll burn up. But these are radical words that Jesus is speaking. You see, for Jesus, there was something more important than living. Did you hear that? There was something more important than living. You know what it was, friend? It was dying on the cross for your sins. It was dying on the cross for my sins. He goes on, verse 26. He says, look. How are we to look? With spiritual eyes. Stop looking at just everything the way it is. Look for the unseen. Whenever I get ready to do a, a, a sermon, I always say this to the Lord. I'm like, help me see the unseen. Help me see what's there but not there. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap. They're not out there stressing out planting in the, in the barns and, you know, getting the seeds and sending it out there or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I know I'm weird, but yesterday there was a cardinal sitting on my mailbox. And I'm like, dude, you got no problems, do you? <laughs> like, you got a great life. My wife feeds you good in the backyard, and then you go just chilling on the mailbox. Uh, we're worried about the mailman delivering mail with fungus on it or something like that, and, and you're just chilling, man. 
You're like, oh no, our pastor's talking to birds. He's getting cabin fever. He says about the birds, they, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's like, come on. I take care of the birds. One falls from the nest, and I'm a, I'm, I know what's going on with that. You're much more valuable to me than that. Verse 65, verse, uh, sorry, uh, 27. Can any one of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, we're all supposed to go, no, you can't. Because we have an expression. How does the expression go? People worry themselves to death. This is a lot about what the life of faith is about. No, this is what a lot about knowing what knowing the Lord is about, is continually seeking Him as your refuge, as your fortress, as your Savior. It's ultimately about trusting the Lord no matter what the circumstances are. It's when faith says to fear, God is with us. See, a lot of times people are focused right now, everybody's like, Turn your, turn your fear into faith. And they're like, I'm terrified. How do I do that? I don't think like that. You don't have to think like that. Faith says to fear, God is with us, and that's why I'm not afraid. That's why. Not because I'm some spiritual giant. No, 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 no. I'm reminded of, of John Wesley. When John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodists in the 1700s, he was on her deathbed, and we are told that he said as he was dying, the best of all, God is with us. The best of all is God is with us. For God's people, the Lord is with us, and he is our refuge. That was meant for the Lord's people in the city, in the temple, in his church, he is with his people. That means while this life is full of trouble, and it is, and the Bible makes no bones about that, all who trust in Jesus in times of trouble ultimately have nothing to fear. Why? Well, we just said it. We have the presence of God. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross and rose from the dead and sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of anybody who will put their trust in him. Notice I said anybody. So not only is God with us, God is in us. We have the peace of God, not just some mellow, calm but because Jesus takes away the sins of all who put their trust in Jesus, we not only have the peace of God, we have peace with God. And we have the protection of God. When the world falls apart, his adopted children, and that's how, what happens when you become a child, when you put your trust in Jesus, he adopts you into his family. He doesn't just love you. He says, come live with me. His adopted children will be safe. 
Loved ones, I know this is hard right now. But this is not a time for fear. I know it's dark right now. But the sun always rises. And God is going to show up just in the nick of time. This is a time for a radical trust in our King. A radical trust in the face of overwhelming trouble. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, we're going